Welcome to episode 39 of Coffee and Tea with Dustin. Today I'm with Carrie Klaus of Element Yoga and Ayurveda, and we're going to talk about some Ayurveda stuff. So what what is Ayurveda? I've heard about it. Uh, I know you were talking about it a little bit in uh, t- the teacher training, yoga teacher training I took with you, and um, but I don't know anything about it. So kind of give me a nutshell. What is Ayurveda? Yeah, so uh, let's start with the definition first. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word that is composed of two root words, uh, Ayur, which means um, life, and Veda, which means uh, sacred knowledge. So Ayurveda is the sacred knowledge of life. And really, it's a holistic system of wellness, meaning that it takes into account the whole person, uh, body, mind, and spirit. And some people say that it is the most ancient form of holistic medicine that has been continuously practiced. Oh, wow. Um, So they say that it was developed some two to 5,000 years ago alongside yoga. And there's a lot of debate in yoga and Ayurveda communities about how old yoga and Ayurveda really are. So um, sometime two to 5,000 years ago, this system of of, um, wellness or system of medicine Uh, was being created on the Indian subcontinent. And really Ayurveda is um, about tuning into and being in touch with our connection to nature. Essentially Ayurveda says that everything that's outside of us is also inside of us. So it has this sort of like macro microcosm thing Um, going on. And the main goal of Ayurveda really is to promote wellness, not to treat disease. So it's really sometimes hard for people to understand, especially people from a Western culture where all of our systems of healthcare are based on treating disease rather than staying well. So Ayurveda's primary focus is how do we stay well Um, through a balance of mind, body, and spirit. There are techniques for treating disease or for treating conditions, but Ayurveda's hope is that by following the principles of Ayurveda, we don't need those treatments. Um, And Ayurveda would rather us stay well than get sick and need to be treated. Right, that's awesome. And I think if you want to kind of talk about that in a Western kind of framework, um, I think it what you're describing is the difference between like conventional medicine and functional medicine where conventional medicine is treating a pathology. There's something that's already wrong where functional medicine is optimizing the function of the human being on a holistic level. And I think Ayurveda is probably the, the OG functional medicine, right? They, that's the original ancient stuff. I mean, now they just have different terms and exactly, exactly. And I, I, I mentioned to a lot of people too, um, some of the terminology in Ayurveda doesn't necessarily match up with what we know um, in a modern Western culture from science and medicine. Um, because two to 5,000 years ago, yogis who were developing this stuff didn't know about the nervous system. They didn't know what we know scientifically and medically now. Um, but there are people who are starting to put it all together and to, to show how these concepts and these these terms and these ideas in Ayurveda really have a relationship to what modern science and modern medicine knows. Um, so there there is that kind of continuous connection um, 
of the development of Ayurveda into something that can be useful in a modern life. <clears throat> yeah, totally. That's that's super cool too. And I think there's a lot of stuff like that happening right now, like where modern or Western science is kind of evaluating some of these ancient systems and they're starting to kind of come together, you know, like I've read some books on meditation that all just scientific studies by academics and they're like, oh wow, the breath really is a uh, direct control panel to the autonomic nervous system. It's not just, you know, I mean, 40 years ago and someone said, oh, hey, practice this meditation technique where you're focusing on your breath and all this, they'd say, well, what are you talking about, you know? Exactly. And now science is saying, well, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and meditation probably is the sort of the biggest body of knowledge that Western science has started to study. And we have lots of studies, like you said, there are books and books and books and tons of papers on the benefits of meditation. We're starting to see that more on the physical practice of yoga. Um, there's a lot more research on the physical practice of yoga and how it benefits your body, also how it benefits your mind, how it benefits your nervous system, you know, how it benefits you physiologically. Um, and then there are smaller, minor studies where we're starting to look at some of these concepts from Ayurveda and, and put them into a Western framework that makes it a little bit easier for people to understand and swallow. Yeah. Um, one of the big premises of Ayurveda is that everything that's manifest um, in creation is some sort of combination of the five great elements, ether, air, fire, water, and earth. Um, and so Ayurveda would say that, you know, everything we can see outside the window here, the trees, the grass, the cars driving by, you and I, your dog, everything that's here in this room are all made up of the same things. Um, we just have different combinations of those things. There's sort of a different um, recipe, if you will, for each one of the things that we can, can see here around us. But we all have those five elements uh, within us. And so Ayurveda is really about understanding those elements and what the qualities of those elements are and then how they're showing up for you as an individual day in and day out and making day-to-day -day adjustments to your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your lifestyle based on how those elements are expressing themselves at any given time. So it's very much a system of personalized self-care um, where you really take into account your secret recipe of mm -hmm. the five elements and work with that. So Ayurveda is something that as you start to learn about the elements, you start to see that it doesn't necessarily make sense um, to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day all throughout the year because the elements change. Um, it doesn't necessarily make sense to eat the same exact foods all throughout the year. And we see that in, in sort of seasonal eating and, and kind of diet culture. And, and when we talk about um, um, nutrition in the West, you know, I mean, everyone knows it's best to eat what's in season. It's not really ideal to eat a strawberry in the middle of January because here where we live, strawberries don't grow in the middle of January. Right. Um, so it's really this practice of learning how to tune in to the natural environment. And I think in the West over hundreds of years, 
we have really lost touch with yeah. nature, you know, from the invention of electricity and artificial light. I mean, we stay up until 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because we can turn the lights on and continue to do what it is that we need to do. Before the invention of electric light, we went to bed when it was dark because there was no way we could do any more right. tasks. Or, you know, someone might sing for you, light a candle and maybe do some singing or maybe someone will read read a book out loud for everybody and then you kind of get bored and tired and go to bed. I mean, how long is that going to last? Like right. an hour or something? Right. And, and, you know, you go through the grocery store, like the smallest section of the grocery store is the food that's actual food. The majority of the grocery store is boxes and bags and cans and other, you know, jars and containers. And so we're not even eating food that's natural food anymore yeah and it's you know and it's because if you process something you know it takes it from being a commodity to something that's increasing your profit margin it's it's purely driven by profit you know if i can you know for example if i can sell you some wheat for you know i don't know 10 bucks a pound i don't know what wheat costs or bushel or whatever but if i can process that into a loaf of bread i can convince you that there's more value there and now i'll sell you that pound of wheat and a little bit of labor and i'm going to charge you 20 bucks now for it or something you know right. so like it's and, and i think that it's been going on for so long now that you kind of forget that that's what that is and that's not like you know you think well there's that food is there because it's nutritious and it's going to keep me alive but the reality is it's just like so different than like someone selling you alcohol or something you know it's just they're just trying to make money it right. really has nothing to do with like nutrition or health or anything exactly exactly um so it's just that we've gotten so far away from nature i mean people hardly go outside anymore you know right. people don't even uh, have a connection to the environment that they live in um and, and ayurveda is really trying to get back to that connection with nature and really living in the way that our ancestors lived in some ways. That's super cool. And I know, so you said that it's, um, it's like a daily system. Well, there are minor changes that you can make day to day. It's sort of big picture. It's more of a seasonal system. Okay. Um, and Ayurveda takes the view that there are three seasons instead of four. We think of spring, summer, fall, winter, Ayurveda actually takes these five elements and categorizes them a little more um, concisely so that it's easier for us to understand how the elements work together. And so the way that Ayurveda kind of takes these uh, elements and breaks them down into something that's easy, an easier category for us to understand is what we call the dosha. Um, and so there are three doshas in Ayurveda, vata, pitta, and kapha. And each of those three doshas is a combination of two elements that are generally found working in conjunction with one another. So vata dosha is the air and the ether element, and it has qualities of air and ether. Ether is space for anybody who's not aware of what that word means. Um, so the qualities of air and ether, we can just think about, um, you know, it has the quality of being cool. Like if you go in an airplane, up in the air, up in space, and you touch the side of the airplane, it's freaking cold when you touch the side of the airplane because air and, and space together create the quality of cold. They kind of create the quality of being dry and mobile. Um, we think of wind 
as being the combination of air and ether. And it has a mobile, kind of movable, um, frenetic almost quality to it. Mm -hmm. um, and that wind, that movement creates dryness. So the, the, the primary qualities of Vada are cold, dry, mobile. It has a few other qualities as well, but those are kind of the big ones that are easy for people to understand. Pitta dosha is the combination of fire and water. We often see fire and water kind of working together. Um, fire and water, obviously fire has the quality of being hot. So it's opposite from vada dosha in that it has the quality of being hot or warm or heated. But if we think about some of the qualities of water, pitta dosha also has the quality of being spreading. So if we're thinking about how pitta shows up in us personally, if you get a rash on your skin and then that rash starts to spread, that's considered a pitta disorder in mm -hmm. Ayurveda. And so we will use some pitta pacifying techniques to eliminate like skin rashes and things like that. So it has the quality of being spreading. It has the quality of being hot. It has the quality of being really intense. So the, you mentioned like if that came up, you'd have some techniques and are the techniques, uh, what does that involve? Are they exercises? Is it diet? Like what kind of things? Usually are, it, it involves sort of a, a layered approach in terms of uh, physical things that you can do mostly in Ayurveda physically we look at yoga and how we practice yoga because yoga and Ayurveda are considered sister sciences they essentially grew up together and kind of developed together and were used together on the Indian subcontinent um, to create a system of wellness so that yogis were strong and healthy and in a um, sort of strong state of mind to practice essentially um, the, the main goal of yoga, which is mastering your mind. Um, and you need to be strong in your body to be able to do that. Um, so yoga is usually a, a sort of a prescription, if you will, um, to help pacify whatever kind of quote unquote disorder that you have going on. And it's different ways of practicing yoga for each dosha. Um, yoga or Ayurveda also looks at and kind of goes toward food as the primary form of medicine. So Ayurveda does have an herbal component, but herbal medicine is generally used when there is a disease process that needs to be treated. In order to maintain wellness, which is Ayurveda's primary goal, food, is how you do that. Your food is your medicine. Um, and so if you were seeing this like spreading skin rash, for instance, mm -hmm. um, you would be placed on a pitta pacifying diet. That would be things that reduce heat. So foods that create heat are pungent things like garlic, ginger, um, peppers, jalapeno peppers, things that are hot and spicy in your mouth. So you would eliminate those from your diet for a time. Um, until things like rash clear up and then you could slowly add them back in so the nice thing about ayurveda is it's never total complete elimination of anything forever um, it tells us how and when to consume all things one thing people get worried about is like oh if i start doing this ayurveda thing don't have to stop drinking like no you don't have to but ayurveda would tell you how and when you should consume alcohol if that's something that you want to do. And if you're having a pitta um, flare up, 
alcohol is one of the worst things <laughs> that that you can do. Pitta or uh, alcohol actually increases pitta, so you'll see more skin disorders, more inflammation, more things like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you know, I think that all or nothing mindset uh, gets people in a lot of trouble. I mean, it sounds like, of course, since it came out of the Indian subcontinent, you know, with yoga and like Buddhism, you know, one of the central kind of tenets of those systems is impermanence and that everything's always changing all the time. Like every second, every moment it's changing. And so, you know, this idea of like, oh, now I'm going to have to do that forever. Well, no, we're going to do what's optimal for right now, you know, and, and that's kind of the way I... I train with my holistic personal training system is, you know, there's a range of rounds you're going to do. And, you know, if you, you know, I train some folks and they work nights and they show up and they're like, I don't have it today. And I'm like, great, we're going to do yoga and meditate. And that's what they need that day. So rather than like putting out some annual training plan, well, by week four, we're going to be doing a strength phase or something like that. Well, if you stayed up all night, we don't need to be lifting heavy weights. You know what I mean? Um, So I, I love that component of it, that it's not this, kind of cookie cutter fixed thing, uh, you know, the good, just for everybody, I'm going to give you this program. It's actually tailored and individual and changing according to what's happening at the moment. I think and, that's pretty cool. And when you start living a lifestyle that is changeable in that way and really um, you have your you have enough self-awareness that you can make those adjustments day to day it's very liberating at first for people it seems really hard because it does take a lot of self-awareness which many of us don't have until we start practicing it and it also um it takes a lot of work on your part to make those changes. It's really easy for someone to give you a diet plan and say, here, just eat this all the time. It's really easy for someone to give you this like year long training plan and say, here, do this all the time. It's one of the reasons that things like Ashtanga yoga and, and Bikram yoga are really popular because it's really easy to say, here's the sequence that you're going to do every single day. Um, and you don't have to think about it. And I love to practice that way too, because for me, it helps me get out of my head. I don't have to think about what I want to do next, but I also have enough self-awareness to know when I need to adjust that. I don't need to be like jumping around in sun salutations today because I need to sit down and do some restorative yoga. So it takes also being really honest with yourself, with which I think we have a hard time doing sometimes. Everybody does. Um, and knowing that, you know, I might not feel like it today, but I need to push myself a little bit more. That's the dosha we didn't get to yet, which is kapha. Kapha dosha is a combination of water and earth. So we see water and earth kind of working together. Water and earth, I mean, we can just think about what that is. Water and earth mixed together make mud. Mud is sticky, it's heavy. So kapha has the qualities of being really heavy, really dull, kind of static and immobile. Um, And so when somebody's experiencing an increase in kapha dosha, they don't feel very motivated to do anything, right? Like you just want to sit on the couch and Mm -hmm. be a slug. And what someone who's experiencing increased kapha dosha needs is to get off the couch and move their body. So Ayurveda works on the, the idea of like increases like and opposites 
pacify. So if you are, if you wake up in the morning and you get your shower and uh, depending on your dosha, have your coffee or not have your coffee, depending on if you need it, and you check in with yourself that day and you feel really dull, really heavy, um, you kind of have that brain fog thing going on. Best thing you could do is put your coat on, put your shoes on, go outside, take a walk, take a run, do whatever it is you do for exercise, go for a hike. You need to move your body. On the other hand, if you wake up in the morning and you're having a major vata imbalance, you have anxiety, you feel really worried about something that day, you sit down for your meditation practice and your mind can't stop, you need to do things that actually create that heavy quality, that actually bring some stillness to your mind. Um, and so you're just monitoring yourself day to day to see what qualities are present today and how do I need to apply that theory of opposites to pacify those qualities? And again, back to the seasons, because that's kind of where we were going. Ayurveda then looks at the seasons in terms of the dosha. So instead of spring, summer, winter, fall, there's vata season, there's kapha season, and there's pitta season. Pitta season's easy to understand. It's summer. Um, it's hot and wet, fire and water, humidity. So there are certain things that we do during pitta season when it's hot and wet out that we wouldn't do during vada season when it's cold and dry out or that we wouldn't do during kapha season when it's cold and wet and heavy. So if we want to kind of think about this in terms of what we know as the seasons, obviously summer is pitta season. We might say June, July, August, September. Those are pitta season. October, November, December, and January are Vada season. So like late fall and early, what we consider winter would be Vada season. That's when there's a lot of mobility in the air. If we think about like that snowfall that we had mm -hmm. last week, when the snow fell then, it was that light fluffy snow. Like you could just go outside with your broom and sweep it away. You didn't have to shovel it. That's very Vada, Vatic snow. It has the quality of being more dry, more light, more fluffy, more mobile. Late winter, so starting maybe February, mid-February, March, April, May, um, late winter into spring, then is kapha season. And we can see that when we really start to pay attention. If it snows later in the year, mm -hmm. when we get those weird March snows, it's always that heavy, wet snow that you actually have to go, like shovel off if you right. get enough. Uh, we start to see the mud because it rains a lot more. So we start to actually see the kapha. Um, but that's the time of year when a lot of us feel a little more um, dull and heavy. That's when if you suffer from seasonal affect disorder, you start to really see that kind of depression. Depression is a kapha, um, a, a kapha predominant, um, I don't wanna say disease or disorder, but it's a kapha predominant um, phenomena. phenomena. Yeah. Um, and so when you start to think about how those qualities are showing up, it gives you an indication of how you need to adjust your lifestyle, your exercise routine, the way that you do your yoga, the things that you're eating, when you go to bed, when you wake up. Um, and I, I just think it's so interesting in that way to think about making these changes with the seasons. Yeah, it is. And so what do you use? You're saying so it's based off like you have to first become self-aware. So you're kind of just going off like your subjective kind of experience the way I, like I will 
if I came to you, you're my Ayurvedic coach or consultant, and I came to you and was like, you know, is, are you basing what you're prescribing me off? You know, I, I feel anxious today and nervous or I'm tired. Off so, just what I'm telling you or what you're observing? or, or There are lots of online quizzes that you can take, and they're good and bad. Um, the online quizzes are good in that they start to help you look at yourself and think about some of the, the, the qualities that are present. They're bad in that they're very subjective. It's just essentially you answering the questions. And we have to remember, so in Ayurveda, there are two ways that we can look at doshas. There's what we call prakriti, and in Sanskrit, the word prakriti means nature. So your prakriti is your constitution, it's your tendencies, it's how you were born and who you are at your core all the time. And then there's what we call vikriti. And vikriti indicates the imbalance. It's what's out of balance. So it's where, how far away you are from your natural constitution. So when you're taking those online quizzes, what happens a lot is what they're intended to do is help you understand your prakriti, your constitution. And in order to do that, when you look at a question on a quiz, you have to think about you over the course of your entire lifetime. And we change over a lifetime. And so we generally answer those questions based on our current state, which ends up giving us more of our imbalance than actually mm -hmm. our constitution. It's helpful to know the constitution because then we know that's what we're trying to get back to. Oh, interesting. So if you think about the doshas in your constitution like a pie chart, um, so I, I know myself, and so I'll just kind of share. I am Pitta through and through. I have almost no Kapha qualities at all. I have a few because we all have everything. And I have very few, oh, I have very few so Vata. <laughs> I have very few Vatic qualities as well. Again, I have a few because we all have everything. But if I were to put all three doshas into a pie chart for myself, the biggest piece of pie would be Pitta, and there would be two small slices that were Vada and Kapha. That, for me, is balance. So when we talk about balance in Ayurveda, we don't mean that Vada, Pitta, and Kapha are equal. We're always trying to get back to You're what is our constitution. So when I have an imbalance, I could still have a pie chart that looks like a big piece of Pitta, but it might be smaller than its original uh, chart because Vada, for instance, is taking up more space. And so what I wanna do in that case is get Vada back to its normal range so that my natural Pitta has its space. So that's what balance is in Ayurveda. It's not an equal amount of each dosha, it's what's your constitution. And so if you were to come to me, the way that we would kind of figure things out um, is with a series of, of questions. And of course it is subjective because it's you answering the questions. But a trained Ayurvedic specialist really listens. And so what I'm listening for is when you talk to me, how do the qualities show up in your speech, in your language, because the qualities show up in our language a lot. They're not just adjectives that we use. They actually show us where the elements are. For instance, like we have a friend that we might say, God, he's such a hothead. Hot. Oh, so he has some pitta 
in his constitution. Or man, I'm so spacey today, space. Oh, you have some vada in your constitution. Or we say like, man, I had a really rough day. You had a rough day. Rough is an L or um, uh, a, um, I can't think of the word I wanna say now. Rough is a descriptor for air and ether, for vada. So if you said, man, I had a really rough day, it means that your vada was heightened and you can do things to bring that back down to make you feel more grounded and stable. So when you come, I'm listening to your language and kind of taking notes the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that helps me to figure out what's going on right now. As an Ayurvedic specialist, I care much more about what's out of balance right now than I do about what your natural constitution is. Because if I do my job well and I find out what's elevated right now, it doesn't matter for me what your constitution is because if I bring down what's elevated, the hope is that that will just naturally start to bring you back into your balance. So I'm really listening for, for what's going on right now. I think it's helpful for you as an individual to understand your constitution so that when you take this home, you really know kind of what you're aiming for. And it just helps you understand yourself and how you are in the world. And when you start to look at these things and you understand and can kind of pick out characteristics of other people, mm -hmm. it really helps you in your relationships because we start to see that, you know, and, and this is yoga and Buddhism and many Eastern philosophies, no one is trying to annoy you or piss you off. No one's trying to get your goat. Like they're just being themselves. And when you understand that like, oh, that's just that person's nature, right. then you can handle it's it so, so it's much. So, it's so hard <laughs> to digest that concept and to really like experience it. But once you do, it does change, right? Like, you know, the way I like to think about it is that nothing is personal, even if it, seems as personal as it can get it's not you know yeah. like if there's a mean ass dog and it, and it and you are walking on the sidewalk and it bites you it wasn't like oh here comes carrie i'm gonna bite carrie right. it was gonna bite whoever's coming by you know and that's how everything is yeah. you know it's not about you it's about that mean ass dog. yeah yeah you absolutely know? so understanding your constitution in that way I think is more important for the individual that's coming to see me because then you that's how you develop your self-awareness and how you develop your self-knowledge. I that's your business. I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about what's out of balance for you right now and how can I help you get that back into balance. What are some indicators of imbalances? Like how would I know? Like I might be thinking, man, I'm I'm the I'm the shiz, you know, like, and you're like, and I might be way out of balance. How would, how would I know? A lot of times people, the first indicator is something like, I'm not sleeping well, and I used to. Maybe you've never slept well, which is an indicator that you have a lot of vada in your constitution. But again, you have to think back as far as you can remember, and sometimes even ask your family and your friends and people who have known you for a long time. Like when you were an infant, were you a terrible sleeper? Were you a kid that like needed your mom to come lay in bed with you every night to help you go to sleep? You got to yeah. think back as far as you can remember. Um, but if you know that you used to sleep well and you don't anymore, that's one indicator. Uh, digestion is a big indicator. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't even sure what their digestion should be like like yeah it's one of the things that we talk about in an ayurvedic assessment we talk about poop a lot yeah. and everyone just assumes that the way they poop 
is normal. Um, and most of the time when they tell me how they poop, it's not very normal. Yeah. Um, so we look at digestion uh, and things like that. A lot of times people who are coming to me at least are usually yogis. And so they have enough self-awareness that they're like, you know, something's just not right. I'm experiencing a lot of stress. Um, I have this like weird skin condition, like just all kinds of things pop up that help you know that you're not, not in balance. The, the word for perfect, pure health in Sanskrit is called swasta. And swasta, it, it's just an indicator that like you actually experience the essence of life. Like you experience joy day in and day out as the majority of your experience. Of course, we all have shitty things that happen to us. Life is life. Mm -hmm. But that the majority of your experience of life is the experience of joy. Like you have this like zest for being alive. Um, and when you start to lose that, it's a good indicator that, hey, I need to, to get something yeah. back in balance. That's super interesting. That these kind of like, I don't know, I would describe it as like an archetyping system, um, you know, where you're like kind of looking at certain variables and you notice these patterns in humanity. Um, it's a lot it, like Enneagram and other things like that in terms of Yeah, sort of like um, I, I went to a lecture a while back and uh, this guy was talking about the way the caste system developed in India. And he said originally it wasn't like this harsh, oppressive thing. It was more like this kind of Ayurvedic system where like, like some people are just, um, you know, I was talking about this with somebody I was training the other day and I was like, you know, I was, you know, an athlete, I was always athletic. And then I tried to do something else with my life and like, it just, it didn't work. And now here I am, like right. I'm 40 and I'm like a personal trainer, you know, I'm training, I'm doing athletic stuff. And it's like, I don't know if you really have a choice. You know what I mean? Like some people are just meant to do certain things, you know? Um, and it sounds like when you try to you go real hard in the other way, kind of like what you're talking like off your, you go against your balance, nature. Yeah. Then it's, it's just not going to work. You kind of have to find or remember what your real purpose is or who you really are yeah. to, to just to be optimal and like to suffer the least amount possible to get through this life. Right. Yeah. I've, I've actually um, done a little bit of like blog writing about that idea too, because it is true that, that, there are certain jobs, certain careers that certain personalities are well-suited for. It just so happens in life that we don't all always have the opportunity to pursue that. Like you and I are extremely lucky and privileged that we get to do the things that we love right. to do and that we're well-suited to doing. And not everyone has the opportunity to do that. So when you understand what your nature is, when you understand what your underlying constitution is, and you realize that you're stuck in a situation, whether it's job or, you know, where you live in the world, I don't know, whatever kind of situation you're kind of stuck in that's out of line with your natural constitution, what kinds of things can you do within where you're stuck at to bring it more in line. So for instance, it's interesting because I, if I had to guess, 
based on what I know about you, I would say you have a lot of Pitta in your constitution also. Is that the fire? That's the fire in the water. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, if you if we were going to look at a pie chart for you, the biggest piece would be fire and water, and then you would have a smaller piece of Vada and Kapha. And I don't know the percentages of those. I haven't talked to you well enough to kind of figure that out. But I, I think that you have the biggest piece of Pitta. Um, Aside from doing things that are physical and athletic, um, movement-based, because pittas are sort of intense in that way, uh, another like suitable career for someone that has that pitta constitution uh, is a lawyer, which is interesting based yeah. on your history. Yeah. But it, it takes a certain kind of drive and intensity and a certain kind of um, ability to... I don't know exactly how I want to say it, but a certain kind of ability to just like say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done that's really well suited to the Pitta constitution. It's really, really bad job for somebody who has a lot of the air and ether element because to, to do something like being an attorney takes a lot of focus. Vadas have zero focus, none at mm. all. Um, but if that's the career that you find yourself in and it's how you support your life and how you support your family and there aren't other options for you, then you start to look at, well, is there a different area of the law that is better suited to my personality? So Vadas are really good at things that are creative, artistic. Um, so maybe there's something within that realm, or maybe there's something at your firm that you can do that allows you to express the creativity that's outside of your job responsibility of being an attorney. But is there something within the firm at the office that you can like plan? Vadas love to plan parties and things like mm. that. So finding little things that bring you joy and bring you back into alignment with your constitution are good ways to deal with that when you don't have the good fortune that we do to be able to, yeah. to do the things that you really love. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes you got to do some stuff you hate to figure out what you really well, love though too. You know? Right. And you know, even for, for both of us having this like primary Pitta uh, dosha, the primary Pitta experience, there are things that we have to do in life that we just have to do that are better suited to people that are Vada predominant or people that are Kapha predominant. We find a way to do them, right? Yeah. I mean, we have to do those things. Like we have to have relationships with people. Pittas would prefer to just be loners. We have to have relationships with people. That's Kapha's thing. They like to have relationships with people. We have to find a way to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there are things that we have to do, like we have to clean up our houses from time to time. Vadas are excellent at like being the little fairy that goes around the house, picking everything up. Like that's what they love to do. So we have to do things that are outside of our nature and we find ways to do them that better suit our nature. Pittas are, are a little more um, particular about who they form relationships with because it makes it easier to have a relationship with that person. Kaphas are the ones who are like, they never ever meet a stranger. Like they could talk to anybody, everybody's their best friend. Pittas are like, I've got two friends. 
but I got two really good friends, you know? So kind of, we all have to do things to get through life that, right. that are outside of our nature. And we just, Ayurveda is about understanding yourself enough to find the way to do those things. That's super cool. And how should someone get a hold of you if they want to like learn more about Ayurveda or like, what would you recommend to them? Go to a website? Go yeah, to the Google? best thing I think is to go to our website. It's elementyoga.me. Um, there's a tab up at the top that says Ayurveda. You can learn more about Ayurveda. You can um, schedule a consultation with me. Um, also, you can just email. There's an a info link there. You can just email. Um, we have Instagram. It's I, I don't even know it very well. I think it's element underscore yoga underscore Ayurveda. I have personal Instagram, but it was my New Year's resolution to stop using it, so I'm not there much anymore, and hopefully won't be back there. Um, the 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 you definitely overdose on Instagram. Yes, so the yoga the yoga one is the best because we do have ways to check and maintain that, and like I I still get messages from there and things like that, and so I'd say that's the best way. Awesome, awesome. What a what type of practices are you doing right now personally like meditation yoga diet anything yeah so um it's funny I was just talking to somebody else about this the other day like the longer that you practice yoga uh you start to realize that you engage with the practice in different ways in different phases um and it's my job to sort of align yoga and ayurveda um so I've been using this seasonal cycle and it's actually the way that I'm teaching now too and looking at okay it's vada season how should we practice during this season kapha season's coming up how should we practice then pitta season's coming up after that so right now in my personal yoga practice I've got a set routine that I just do every single day starting in the new year actually my husband Rob's doing it with me and we get up at 5 45 every morning and get it done finally got um, Rob to do some yoga yes yeah and he's actually really liking it and you know awesome. you gotta take you gotta like you gotta do it and feel the benefit of it um so right now it's a set routine because it is still Vada season. And one of the qualities of Vada is for it to be very mobile and unstable. And so to pacify that, you wanna bring in something that provides some stability. Like if I just know I'm gonna do this thing mm -hmm. every single day, it creates a sense of stability that otherwise wouldn't be there. The other thing in Vada season, um, sort of physical wise, is that you wanna do things that are a little more gentle because vada is um, very depleting. The air and ether element can really, really deplete. So it's not the time to be doing like a power yoga type of like jumping in your sun salutations. Like you wanna do things that are more gentle on your joints. So I don't necessarily mean like, restorative yoga is a great thing to do all year long, just to build up those reserves mm -hmm. of energy. Um, and when I say gentle, I don't mean not hard. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, think about your joints, think about how you're treating your joints, know that there will be some level of depletion. You might find that your joints are a little more stiff or achy during this time of year. So be sensitive to those things. So I've got a set sequence that I'm doing for there. Um, also, before I even really knew much about Ayurveda, now that I look back, I see how my own practice had cycled naturally anyway. 
And during this time of year, I'm always drawn to, in my meditation practice, mantra meditation. Uh, so I use my mala. I keep track of, of my mantra. And again, that provides a sense of grounding and stability during Vata season. Um, and so I, I, do, I practice mantra meditation every day. I've got that set sequence that I'm doing every day. Um, those are the things that I'm like doing. Um, really committed right now to... Um, not doing anything that doesn't make me happy. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great philosophy I have so, all the time. My day so far today has been get up, do my yoga, send my kid off to school, eat breakfast, go back to bed until 1030, nice. get up, take a shower, and read a book until I came here. Because everything else that I could have done today did not seem like something that it was going to make me happy to do. So right. that's kind of where I am right now is just yeah. what, what is making I, me happy? I've been, I've been kind of playing with that idea too, but you know, and, and it's kind of, you kind of think about like, um, I've heard people talk about if you, if you knew for a fact you're going to die one year from today, like, would you be doing this today? But like, that seems a little like kind of an extreme, uh, way to live, you know, because I'd be probably doing some crazy shit that I wouldn't <laughs> do, you know, if I'm a year, that's not that long. But so I like to think of like in 10 years. If I was going to die in 10 years, what I'd be doing, what I'm doing today. And I think that's a more healthy <laughs> or yeah. like less risk-taking for me personally way to live. And uh, I think it's interesting, too, you mentioned the mala uh, meditation practice. I just started doing that, too. And I noticed that, for me, you were talking about how being aware of yourself is the first point before you can, like, change or fix or try to make something optimal. And the mala meditation, or, you know, you may know that as a rosary in the Catholic tradition, you know, you're, you're doing a set amount of, uh, of uh, saying a mantra, maybe thinking about something with it um, on some beads. It's like a necklace. And I found that, too, that because it is the same, and I have been doing the Bikram practice mm -hmm. yoga twice a week, and it is the same every time, that it is easier for me to kind of see, like, it's the same meditation, the same amount of time, amount of beads, same mantra, same exact same yoga practice every time. But you change, right? Like mm -hmm. some days you're like, man, I'm going kind of fast today. <laughs> yeah. Or God, I'm going real slow. Or I'm kind of singing the mantra today. Or I'm, boy, my mind keeps wandering off real, a lot today. And having that sameness really is illuminating to, I'm a little sped up today. Or I'm a little slowed down today. Or, wow, I'm, I'm kind of angry today. And, uh, you know, or whatever. And, you know, I think, I, I think it's interesting too because I found, I found that the, the mantra meditation with the, with the mala, um, I've never done mantra meditation either, so I just I've done the mala and mantra at the same time, and I've switched that to my daily practice. And I I think there's nuance to the technique in that stuff that's really important that maybe like you lose with the modern stuff, like with an app or something that's guided. Right. And even like you were saying, like my practice, I would use a timer on my phone, you know, twenty minutes, thirty that's minutes, what whatever, I did too. and and I'd find myself, look, you know, <laughs> looking at the timer. And you try to be like, well, don't get attached to caring. But then I'm like, I'm always doing that kind of like, okay, I got 20 minutes. And I'm fixating on this like time period. And I can't, I couldn't kind of let go of that. Right. And so the, the, the mala, I think, really helps with, I know when I hit that last beat, I'm going to feel it. Like I don't have to. You don't have to set the timer. Yeah, in the back of it. my mind, there's no like, is the phone off? Did it, is, it, is, it, is the timer, how much time do I got? Like five minutes? Ten? You know, it just eliminates that. And we, that makes it easier for me. From an Ayurvedic perspective, it would be interesting to see if 
you can let go of attachment to a certain type of meditation and see how that cycles throughout the year, though. Um, so because, it's seasonal. Right, because this is the season where the Bikram yoga, where you're doing that same whatever it is, 27 or however many postures it is, every single time that you go to practice, that is super stabilizing. Plus, in addition to that, with the Bikram yoga, you get the heat. Cold is a primary um, quality of Vada season, and just the heat itself is very grounding and stabilizing. Kind of moving you back. Yeah, so it's putting direction. you back towards that balance. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I find that I long for it, the heat. You know, I'll, I'll get there early and go in 15 minutes early just to... Be in the heat. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm generally a pretty, like, hot-blooded person. I mean, I do not love summer because I'm primarily a Pitta. I get really, really hot in the yeah. summertime. But this time of year, I really love heat too. I I can't stay warm enough. I can't keep enough layers yeah. of clothing on. And it's interesting to start noticing those things about yourself that have probably been happening your whole life that you just didn't pay attention to before and starting to pay attention to those things. Um, and so like even going into Kapha season, you still want that heat because cold is still a quality of, of, of kapha. But kapha has a lot more heaviness and a lot more stability. So Bikram or uh, Ashtanga or power yoga practice can be really good in that regard because there's some intensity to it and you mm -hmm. need that intensity to break up some of that stagnant heaviness. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily need the structure anymore but the intensity of it is what's yeah. really good. And then maybe watching when we get to summer, like obviously the heat doesn't give you the same benefit when we get yeah. to a natural cycle that's warm. And Pitta tends to have a lot of intensity. Uh, Pitta people tend to like be able to get like really zoned in and focused on something, um, have a little bit of a competitive nature the tendency to want to like push a little bit further than what they should. And so then that's the time to watch what's going on in your yoga practice and does something that's really structured and intense and hot during that time of year, does it serve you? Um, and, you know, maybe there's something going on in your life, even if you are primarily a Pitta person where you have a Vata imbalance going on or a Kapha imbalance going on, and that does continue to serve you. So it's not that like, oh, you just never do anything in the heat when summer comes. It's right. what, how is the practice serving you right. it's at about that time? The, the individual kind of makeup, right? And you know that when you start to think about things in that way, it really changes it and um, it changes things. And it did for me, like for your practices, like that intensity, I feel like I needed and I and it's and I think a lot of people get fixated on an activity that they get it from, but then they get skilled enough in it that they're not hitting that flow state of consciousness. Because there's a certain amount of challenge that has to be possible. Right, you just tune it out for you to for you to get it. And you know, like you'll see it a lot with like fighters, like boxers and MMA fighters, right? Where they kind of won't stop fighting, and they should have. And I think that they they think that it's the fighting. That's what gives them the juice, right? The, that, that feel they need. But it's really that flow state of consciousness. And you can switch the activity up to something that's less less harmful than right. getting punched in the head. right? Which is what I kind of found where I would go 
so hard into kettlebells or I would like, I got to go do some kickboxing sparring. Well, you can do too much of those things. I mean, they're good, but it's a stressor, you know? Um, So like, I think that's where I'm kind of finding too with that heat and that hot, hard stuff that I get that, that intensity without doing something that's like causing head trauma or completely degrading my hips because I did three times more, more reps than I should have in a kettlebell workout, you know? Um, Which I don't program Right. <laughs> stuff I do I don't really so I, I'm just an idiot I realize that I'm doing too much but it's like I kind well, of sick a, like I need it a little that's bit that's the pitta in you yeah. it's like always always going a little bit further and the thing with pitta is like we all pittas tend to think that they have more in them like they have more in the tank than what they do yeah. <laughs> and so it's really easy for pitta to overdo anything we we are the ones that end up like with the most injuries because we pushed a little too far because we thought there was more there than there was yeah. it's actually the kapha characteristics that actually have more strength and stability um when kapha's in balance uh, when kapha's out of balance, that strength and stability shows up more as sort of excess. Um, so somebody who might have a little extra weight tends to have a kapha imbalance. But that doesn't mean that somebody who has a lot of kapha in their nature will be a little overweight. Because kapha really is just strength and stability. Okay. So if we were going to look at a pie chart for you, it probably has more kapha than it has vata for sure. Um, but I still think there would be the most pitta there. Okay. And so then it's kind of looking at like, okay, well, what's this, like, you know, how much of this kapha and the actual strength and stability is there? And then how much of it is like overdoing it? I don't have a lot of kapha and I have a ton of pitta. So I tend to want to overdo everything and think that I'm stronger, and like think that I'm way more of a badass than what I am. And I have to remember like, oh, that's not true for you. Like you don't necessarily have the strength and stability that you think that you have. And so I have to remember to back off sometimes yeah. because I'll get injured. Yeah, yeah, I, I do the same. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll, I need that. And even like, I think the heat, like even in the summer, like my favorite thing to do is like to pull the echo bike out and face the sun, like in August and then do the 500 cal nasal breathing ride. And then that shows there that there's that bigger piece of kappa because if you can tolerate the heat in that way, there's some quality of coldness that's always present. If you can, if you have It's like trying to balance out with the heat. If you have heat tolerance, like I have zero heat tolerance. Like if it is hot outside, you will find me in water or inside the air conditioning. Like I have zero heat tolerance um, because I just don't have those Pitta and Vata qualities. Now, if we look, oh, if we, look, <laughs> if we look mentally, um, sometimes our physical qualities can be different than our mental qualities too, though. So you might have a lot of physical pitta qualities. You might have like the strongest stomach ever. You can literally eat anything and it never bothers you. You've got a strong muscular physique. Like those are all physical qualities. But then when you um, observe your mind, you might notice like, ooh, I have a lot of like vada qualities in my mind to have a little, you know, like attention deficit issue going on. Like I can't stay focused or, um, so the, the, the mental and the physical can be different oh, that's as fascinating. well. Yeah. Well, 
Well, thank you so much yeah. for uh, sitting down and do this. I really appreciate it. And you brought me some Ayurvedic tea. I appreciate that too. What's in this? Uh, so it's really just a masala chai, which is an Indian tea. But uh, I mentioned that Ayurveda uses food as medicine. And so mm-hmm. this masala chai is one of the things as we're going into kapha season mm-hmm. that Ayurveda would say provides a heavy quality and it provides a pungent or a warm quality so it's really great for feeling if you feel kapha imbalances if you feel dull heavy sluggish if you feel mucusy like if you've got a congestion or anything so it's black tea it's usually awesome which comes from india um there's cinnamon ginger clove black pepper and anise or anise i'm not sure how it gets pronounced um, but those are the primary ingredients, and you can adjust the the levels of those kind of based on exactly what element is expressing itself or exactly mm-hmm. what quality. Um, so you steep yourself a cup of tea, and then if you drink milk or some kind of like milk alternative, put mm-hmm. a little touch of milk in there. I usually don't sweeten it because I don't sweeten many things, but you can do some honey as well. Okay, took a little break there. Uh... Anything else you want to close up with or talk about or promote? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it's February 6th. I could be wrong on the date. It's whatever's the first Saturday in February. I'm having a special Ayurvedic yoga for winter class because we're coming into that kapha season. So we'll go over sort of how to change and adjust your yoga practice for kapha season. And then we also talk about some of the lifestyle recommendations. So kind of... um, waking up going to bed things like that what kinds of foods to include in your diet um and and just some of the general ayurvedic like daily practices that shift and adjust it's 25 dollars, and it has an online and an in-person option um at the studio so you can check that out again on our website elementyoga.me you should be able to register for that there that's really the only special thing coming up Okay, Apparently. super cool. I really, again, I really appreciate you coming and doing this. Yeah, and thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it, and I think it's super cool that we have all this great stuff right here in New Albany. I mean, right? the Kula Center, we got yoga, Ayurveda, the float center there, Jason's Massage, you got Bikram yeah. Yoga, you got Four Barrel Fitness, you got Katie Hearn Gym out there. I mean, there's so much, like, healthy, good stuff you can do in this little town. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And uh, I really appreciate you coming by, and that's all I got, so... um May you be safe from harm, may your life be filled with ease and joy, and may you be free. Namaste. Namaste.